wife uh, made a statement as we were driving to Junction in the car. She goes, this must be one of those really good sermons that, that you're excited about. And I said, why would you say that? She said, because you were able to get through it and prepare it so quickly and easily. She goes, typically those messages that weigh heavy on your heart and you really don't, you're not as excited about, she goes, they take you longer to work through. And I, and I got thinking about that. It's so true. I, I came to this passage and I was just thrilled. I'm like, yes, I finally get to be here. I, I've been excited. I've been anticipating getting to chapter 3. And, and chapter 2 had some stern warnings and, and things that we as the church need to look at to be aware of. But oh, to come to chapter 3, church, this is exciting. And, and I'm sure as you were reading this, you were just anticipated and excited about Sunday as well. You're like, wow, this is amazing. And, and I'm, I'm sure as, as you looked at it, maybe the question came to your mind of, hmm, are we going to discuss dates and times? Are we going to discuss when, when this is all going to occur? Nope, not this morning. This morning, I want you, as we open the pages of, of Scripture, I want you and I to contemplate God. I want you to think about this God that we are reading about in the pages of Scripture. And I want you to, to contemplate Him in, in contrast to man's wisdom. I want you to contemplate him in contrast to the mocking that, that we see not only in our generation, but even in Peter's generation. So as we think about this God, would you turn with me to the second book of Peter? We're going to be in chapter 3. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Peter says this, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. This right here, that statement right there, is, is the purpose statement of this letter. He is expressing to us why he is writing. And he, there are things that you and I, that his readers need to remember. And we've been looking at those things, but he goes on, he says, know this first of all. If you come to a, a statement like that, underline it, this is important, you need to know this, and Peter says, know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. 
that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But... Do not let this one fact escape your notice. That's another good thing to underline right there. You don't want this to escape your notice. Beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. This is an exciting passage. And, and as Peter is, is laying this out, I want us to begin this morning with three questions that will help us contemplate God. Are you ready for it? Question number one. What's 96% of the universe made of? You're like, wow, did not see that question coming. You didn't study up on this, did you? 96% of the universe, all the stars, planets, and galaxies that, that we have seen, and, and I, I can't take into account on this statistic with the very recent you know, images and things we got here, okay? This, was prior, this research was prior to the recent uh, stuff, but still... Everything that we know so far is 4% of the universe. <clears throat> All the stars, galaxies that we can, we, can, we can see there. I can't even comprehend that. I've looked at, at those images. Richard Panic says this, the overwhelming majority of the universe is, well, who knows? It's unknown for now and possibly forever. Interesting, isn't it? We gaze at the night sky, we look out there and we're like, wow, we only know 4%. Consider what, what Isaiah wrote. Oh, I love this verse. This is one you got to highlight. I mean, if you are ever feeling overwhelmed, this is the verse to go to. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12, and he says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Picture that, scooping it up and measuring it. And marked off the heavens by the span. For those that don't know, if you have horses, you understand this, but it's from the pinky to the thumb. That's a span. And calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains on a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. That's our God. When God looks at the universe, he goes, oh, yeah, the universe, yeah, I measure that with the span of my hand. (laughs) 
Next question. How much of the ocean have we explored? Some of you might know this. Keaton back there definitely knows this one. But by the way, the oceans, this is the same God who actually measures those by just, okay, that's about how much water right there. Stand on the seashore, stare out into the abyss of the ocean, and let that sink in. To date, we've explored approximately 5% of our ocean. 5%. The, the very thing that brings the lifeblood to the universe controls weather systems, delivers oxygen, produces life. Out of that, we only have explored 5%. The other 95%, who knows? Man has yet to lay eyes on it. Next question. How much do we know about the brain? This, this is my favorite question. And, and I couldn't answer this. I had to go to a medical professional on this one. One professor writes, he goes, I think the problem with this is this. We don't know enough about the brain to know how much we know about the brain. Let me read that again so that can sink in for you. We don't know enough about the brain to know how much we know about the brain. We know that we can say we know 10% of the brain, but we have no idea what 100% looks like. Sure, if we knew that there were a million things to know about the brain, then we could say that we knew 10,000 of them, and we could say we know 1% of the brain. But, he goes on, we don't even know how much there is to know about the brain, nor can we count the number of things that we do know about the brain. Yes, the brain is that complex. All this, those three questions. And then man with his three-pound brain has the audacity to think for just a moment that he can grasp God. The author and creator. Let that sink in for just a moment. This morning we're going to contemplate a few things about God. First, God is communicated. God is communicated with us. God is coming. In fact, God is coming for you and I. Those who are His, He is coming for. God is Creator. Regardless of what you believe, he created you and I. He created this world. He created the universe that we only know 4% of. God has control over all things. I don't know about you, but that's comforting. And we're going to look at how God is caring toward us. 
God is caring toward us. You and I, God cares. And we are going to look at that. First, I want you to contemplate for just a little bit and try to understand, try to grasp that God has communicated with us. Think about that. We have a God that communicates. He wants you and I to know. To know Him. To know His desires. To know what He wants. And He has communicated that in an effective manner. This God that can measure the universe with the span of His hand. And I don't know if it's one span or a few spans. But either way, that's impressive. Who can take the oceans and go, there it is. A God that big, that grand, magnificent, wants, desires to communicate with you and I. What does that do for you right now? How does that encourage you? I mean, think about it. It's important to remember that this book right here, the Bible, is God communicating with us. Peter, as he's writing and reminding them, he says the words that were spoken before. He's talking about the Old Testament prophets and how God used them to communicate to people. Men and women, the common man. Think about that. He didn't say, I'm coming to communicate to an elite few. I'm coming to communicate only with the pastors. No. He gave us His Word in written form that we can read, we can know, we can understand. Words. And then He says the words that were spoken by Christ Himself. Oh, Christ, the ultimate communicator. And we can go and read the words of Christ. The Gospels. And the words given by the apostles. The New Testament. Peter, as he writes this, understands that what he is writing is the very words of God. You have the prophets, you have the gospels, you have the apostles, you have the scriptures. And God is using them, the words, to communicate with you and I. Things that you and I must know, hold on to, and pass down. Oh, we need to pass them down to the next generation. Let me just state this. Because Peter's charge in this letter is remember. Bring to mind, recall those things. But let me state a real obvious fact. You and I cannot remember something we have not read. It's just how that works. You and I cannot remember something we have not heard or known. Therefore, if we are called to remember the Word of God, we have to read it. We have to know it. We have to hear it. That is one of the reasons, as your pastor, I will deliver the Word of God. Because we need to know this, and we need to remember it.
God communicated also a promise. I, I love going through the scriptures and, and underlining all the promises of God when I come to them. Have you ever done that? It is an amazing practice. As you read through God's word, go, oh, that's a promise. Wow, that's a promise. God has promised he is coming back. God is coming. That didn't excite anybody. Man, I was thrilled when I read that. I'm like, thank goodness, because he, he needs to come soon. Things are getting bad. But he has promised that he will return. And God, as, we, as you study God's word, you know what you find out about God? He's faithful to his promise. Think about it. You can go through the, the scriptures in the very beginning. He's faithful to his promise of the consequence of sin. He says, don't do that, Adam and Eve. Actually, he told Adam, this will happen. In the day you eat it, you will surely die. Guess what? Everybody dies. Death, the consequence of sin. He was faithful to that. God said, listen, I'm going to send a flood. I'm going to destroy the world. Noah declared that promise for a hundred years. Everybody around him heard it. Guess what? They didn't believe the promise. Guess what God did? He flooded the world. He's true to his word. Abraham, you're going to have a kid. I know you're old. I know your wife is old. I know that's not politically correct, but it's true. She was old. She was past the time of having kids. Guess what? God said, you're going to have a kid. Guess what happened? They had a kid. God is true to his word. God said, guess what? There is a Messiah coming. He is going to come. He is going to redeem not only Israel, but all mankind. And they waited and waited. Oh my goodness. They waited a thousand years. They waited two thousand years. They waited three thousand years. Four thousand years. Guess what? A Messiah came. God was true to his word. He's faithful. God has never not kept his word. That's reassuring. Yet somehow, when God makes these promises, God makes these statements in His Word, we come to Him and we read this, and then we hear man mocking. We hear the things that man comes up with, that three-pound little brain, and we go, I'm going to listen to that. That appeals to me. What man is saying, that, that I can, I, I'll relate with that. I'll, I'll listen to that instead. Really? We can't even contemplate the universe that we live in. Man is speaking to the things he doesn't understand. I mean, it's been Satan's tactic from the very beginning. Satan, as he's talking there with Eve and Adam's listening, he goes, did God really say... He loves to twist that and, and, and make people question. We saw how that ended. It didn't end well. Yes, God did say, and he followed through. Yes. 
and we wait. God says he's coming and we wait and we wait and we wait. Men come and go with dates and times and, and all of that. We see those dates come, we see them go and we wait and we wait. But you know what? You know what? I'll tell you this. From yesterday, we have one less day to go. That's encouraging. I've got one day behind me. When tomorrow morning comes, I'll have another day behind me. We're closer. That's encouraging. Every morning I wake up, I'm one day closer to his return. That's a cool perspective, isn't it? Wake up. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm one day closer. I mean, you look towards vacations like that, right? Yes, one day closer. (laughs) This is eternity with God. The ver- the, verse 9. I, I love verse 9. Some dear people have just taken this verse out of context. Look at verse 9. Or sorry, verse 8. Verse 8 they take out of context. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. This is math 101, okay? We're going to do math this morning. Okay? One day equals a thousand years. That's usually where people stop. They're like, aha! Everywhere in Scripture it says day, it means a thousand years. And they start doing all the math and calculations and stuff that just makes my head hurt. I mean, I've looked at it, I'm like, wow. And they failed to read the second half of this. And a thousand years equals one day. They negate each other. It's math 101. Do you know what Peter's saying? Hey guys, you need to know this. He goes, God is outside of time. He's not constricted by the things of time like you and I are. He can do what he likes and pleases. You need to understand this, he's saying. I am so glad that God is not bound by time. Because I look at my schedule and I'm like, God, it's not going to get done. And God's like, I got this. A God who's not bound by time is never in a rush. He's never panicked. Let that sink in for just a minute. How many of you this last week were were stressed by time just a little bit? Okay, for those on the video there, everyone raised their hand. Okay? We feel the pressures of time. You know what I love about reading through the Gospels and the ministry of Jesus that I wish I could grasp in my own life and ministry? is Jesus was never rushed. But he was always on time. God's not panicking, church. And as Peter points out, he's not slow about his promise. 
We feel the burdens of time. We feel the rush. We're like, God, you're really slow on this. You know, if we had the heart of God, I don't think we'd feel as rushed. Because God's looking down and he's saying, but Jed, I know you want me to come back right now. But Jed, there's this person and this person. They're so close. I'm waiting for them. And he's right on schedule. But men love with that little three-pound brain to mock God. Where is he? Sure, he said that 2,000 years ago. Where is he? And they mock him. They mock us. But something, I love this, something escapes their notice. Something escapes their attention. God is creator. God is creator. Communicator. Creator. That's the God you and I serve. With the power of His Word, you go back to Genesis chapter 1, and time and time again, each day, God spoke, and there it came. God said, let there be, and it was. Louis Giglio said, God is is the star breather. I, I love that phrase. He said, let there be stars. You look into that galaxy that we only know 4% of, and God said, let there be. And the universe came into existence. By the power of his word. By the power of his word, he told the oceans, you will go no further. And they stopped at the shoreline. The waves and tides obeyed. The power of his word. Are you starting to feel just a little bit small right now? Man, I read this and I'm like, you know, I've got this problem, I have this situation, I'm dealing with this, and then I look at God and I'm going, those are small. My God is big. It was so fun contemplating God this week. Don't let this concept escape your understanding, Peter says. Our God is creator, and he created with the power of his word. And not only did he create with the power of his word, church, he sustains with the power of his word. He says God is in control. God is reserving the world around you and I for for judgment 
Once again, by the power of his word, he will come and judge. He will come and destroy with fire. He did it once with water. He'll do it with fire in the future. We'll talk about that next week. I know that sounds like a hellfire and brimstone message. It's not. It's exciting because God wins. It says, notice your God is in control, church. Rome may be coming down. Peter was looking at his imminent death. Dying a martyr's death for Jesus Christ. And he's saying, church, God is in control. He's got this. As, as I came to today's message, I was so thrilled that, that I got sick one week. I'm like, what a great sermon to have when we look together at, at, at the things of the church and the business meeting, looking ahead. I mean, this is great. Otherwise, it would have been last week's message, and that, I'm not sure. This is exciting. God has always been in control of his creation I mean, Scripture tells that through and through. You go back to Moses and the crossing of the Red Sea. The sea obeyed God. God said, part, they parted. He wants dry land, they walk on dry land. Jesus, I I, I read multiple times in the Gospels this week. If you want to be encouraged, go and look at the storms Jesus goes and sends those disciples into. He's like, hey, how about you guys go out in the water there? There's a storm coming. Well, he didn't tell them that, but he knew. He's like, it'll be great. And he watches them in the storm, and he walks out there, and he gets in. The storm stops. One time they're out there on the boat. He goes, hey, guys, we're going to go to the other side. They're like, great. They get in. Jesus is like, I'm going to take a nap. Storm comes. Jesus sleeps. And they're like, ah, we're going to die. They wake him up, and he's like, you have little faith. I said we're going to the other side. He gets up, and he chastises the storm. He says, stop! Boom! Stops. Wind, waves, storms obey God. Shadrach, Meshach, I love that story. They're thrown into the fire, and God says to the fire, you can't touch them. The fire obeys Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. God says, nope, shut your mouth. They obey. Oh, I wish I would obey when he tells me to shut my mouth sometimes. (laughs) Last week, we looked at Balaam's donkey. My goodness, a stubborn donkey listens better than we do. For those that have donkeys, that's saying something. I mean... With Joshua, oh, they're in battle. And Joshua's like, God, I could use a little more time. So God's like, okay, son, stop, don't move. Go read it. It's in here. When the Son of God hung on the cross, Died on Calvary, taking your sin and mine. The light and the darkness obeyed. And darkness covered the land. Why? Because God's creation listens. 
except for his creation with that little three-pound brain. You and I fail to listen time and time again. He gives us his word. He communicates his word. And time and time again, we fail to listen. Mockers come. One day, Scripture says, every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They will not mock that day. But Satan twists his words. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, Moses is giving the words of God to Israel. These are just as pertinent, by the way, for you and I today. Hear! That means listen up! Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates I love this passage declares who God is God is giving his word and it says these words Did you notice what you should do with these words? Let me point them out again for you. First of all, they shall be on your heart. Whatever's on your heart, you think about. I've been working with people long enough. Whatever is on their heart is thought about over and over and over continually. These words shall be on your heart. You shall teach them. Like, whoa, 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 I'm not a teacher. Are you a parent, a grandparent? Are you older than someone that's younger? Teach them. But it says here specifically, and I want to I point out to us dads, you shall teach them diligently to your sons. Do you know why it says to your sons? Because the son carries the family name. The son passes that on to the next generation. Generation after generation after generation. And if you don't teach these words to your son, then that generation will cut off. It only takes one generation to lose the passion for God and his word. You shall teach them. And it even tells us when to teach them. I love this. It says when you sit down. When you walk. When you lie down, when you get up. That's a lot of times to be teaching, isn't it? And he says, teach them. And then he says, bind them. Keep them close. Don't let them escape. Memorize. 
They shall be as frontals on your forehead, something you're thinking about all the time. Then you shall write them. Okay, so you're, you're speaking them, you're memorizing them, you're thinking on them, you're, you're teaching, all of this, and then write it down. I love that in this one verse, God goes and tells them to do everything that helps you memorize something. It's amazing. I have a smartphone. I tell Siri to remind me of something, and, and she does it later on. But you know what? If I actually take time and write it on a piece of paper, it generates something else in the mind, and I remember it. Have you ever written out Scripture? great practice and Peter's saying don't forget I want you to remember this is why I'm writing you remember 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 and he wants them to just remember the majesty of the God they get to serve he's like folks this is exciting and he 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 closes with this not only is he magnificent creator communicator but God cares. This amazing God you and I worship that are called into a relationship, He cares. It says God is patient. I'm so glad we have a patient God. I need a patient God. God doesn't sit up there in heaven in an uncaring manner and say, you know, I hope those guys go to hell. Nope, I don't like his attitude. No, I hope he goes to hell. That is not the God you and I serve. But God is striving so much for a relationship with you and I. He has communicated. He has communicated with you and I. John 1.1, I love this passage. It is a great passage on just the communication of the God that we serve. It says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. From the very beginning, church, he has been a communicator. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came, in, uh, came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then you go down to verse 14. This is just amazing. The communicator, the creator, the one who created with his word, it says, and the word became flesh. He's like, I'm going to communicate in person to you. And dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father. Full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. What a communicator. And he communicated his love, 
his grace, his truth. Why? Because he cares. Why? Because of this this phrase that I love so much. He did that not wishing for any to perish. I I love this, this powerful statement that God doesn't wish for any to perish. Let that sink in. I want you to notice something. This verse right here is one of the reasons I could never agree with or follow that the teaching of limited atonement. That God only died for some. Because if that's the case, then God's lying here. Otherwise, he would desire that some perish, and I see that nowhere in Scripture. John 3.16 says he loved the world. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says it's by grace that you and I enter into salvation. God's death at Calvary was for all. Why? Because he desires that none should perish. Because God cares. He may desire and wish that none should perish. But we have to repent. We have to see our sin. We have to see our need for a Savior. And this amazing God is waiting. Waiting patiently. For those who have not trusted in His Son, Jesus Christ, giving as much time as He can. Why? Because He loves you. He loved you enough to give His one and only Son. And whoever believes in Him, the finished work of Calvary is death, burial, and resurrection, shall not perish. Because perishing is coming for sin. But God desires that none should perish. When you and I contemplate this God, we shouldn't question Him. If there is a question, it should be, God, why would you love me? You're holy, you're righteous. Why would you love me, a sinner? Says because I sent my son for you. Because I desire to have a relationship with you. It's not based off of you and me. It's based off him. This amazing God that you and I worship, that, that is introducing himself in Scripture. And he says, I want you. Doesn't need us. He wants us. And he graciously paid 
the price. Contemplate God. Let's pray. Lord, three questions that we looked at reveal just a glimpse of your majesty, of your wonder. God, we could go through the pages of Scripture time and time again and be in greater awe of you yet. And as we sang earlier, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Oh God, I look forward because of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we can spend eternity with you. God, you are great. May we realize that to the fullest extent and may we give you the praise and the glory that is due you. And God, my prayer this morning, if there is any here, any listening that, that does not have a relationship with you, God, today would be that day. God, we love you. And we stand amazed at who you are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.